back to the Film 89 podcast. This is episode 76. I'm Sky. I'm Richard. And on tonight's episode, we're going to be giving you our thoughts on Lucasfilm's latest Star Wars-related Disney Plus show. Spinning off from season two of The Mandalorian, it's The Book of Boba Fett. Written by John Favreau and Dave Filoni and consisting of seven episodes directed by the likes of Robert Rodriguez, Bryce Dallas Howard, Dave Filoni and others. So Rich, this is the second Star Wars related episode in a row for us after last week's episode on the film that started it all 45 years ago, George Lucas's 1977 masterpiece Star Wars and one of our absolute all-time favourite films. That episode, having only been out for a few days, is smashing the downloads and shooting up the charts. So in case we forget, we'd just like to say a huge thank you to all our listeners, followers and subscribers for both listening to and spreading the word on that episode. One that really did mean a lot to us. And thank you very much, everyone who has sent us kind comments relating to it that we're getting via social media. Sadly, for tonight's episode, Neil can't join us. So Rich and I are just going to try and uh, make up for the big guy's absence. So, Rich... How are we going to tackle this um, seven-episode series? Because I think we've already said on previous episodes that we were looking forward to it. We love both seasons of The Mandalorian, and we love the character of Boba Fett, both from his appearance in Season 2 of Mando and his roots in the original Star Wars trilogy. In which case, I'll just cut to the chase, Rich. Uh, Did Season 1 of The Book of Boba Fett live up to your expectations? No. Oof, wow. (laughs) Not pulling your punches there, Rich, you. No. 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 Were your expectations reasonable after that high that we kind of came off at the end of season two of Mandalorian? Yeah, I think so. I yeah. think that, um, yeah, I think they were. We discussed before when we talked about Solo, when we've talked about other things, when you've got a character that's steeped in mystery, part of the charm is not knowing certain things. And I think that there was it was always this gamble. However, I was very much uh, reassured and far more positive about the idea of the series after his appearance in Mando season two. It was very, uh, very well handled. I mean, we just came out to it thinking he was the, the awesome sort of warrior legend that, that we always thought he was and we hadn't seen enough of him in the original films this this boded really well i just thought yeah you know really up for it however the trepidation being there was this character this actor can they really sustain their own series um and that was my trepidation going in yeah i think because the way they handled him so well in season two of the mandalorian as a supporting character still one that got you know his moment to shine in the spotlight that episode where he's uh, fighting the the stormtroopers just before he gets his armor back and then when he gets his armor back before that we see him hand to hand with a gaffy stick just kicking ass and smashing helmets and and all kinds of carnage then when he gets the suit back on we see something that we've never really seen from boba fett before because he's only appeared briefly in in the original trilogy and, you know, we got to see him unleash. We got to see those knee rockets. We got to see the rocket on his back being used. We, we got to see him kicking ass in a big way. But then they kind of didn't overdo it with the, you know how much we saw of him. And he did very much remain a supporting character. And I think that is the best way to use him. It's, it's not to say then that you can't take that character and with him tell a good story. Yeah, if I'm going to ask myself that same question then, Rich... Uh, it's not lived up to my expectations either. But there's good points and bad points in this seven-episode series. I think, you know, you and I and Neil and, and others, you know, a lot, a lot of us, you know, we're close friends, discuss on a weekly basis every time a new episode drops. We wait until everyone's seen it and then we go through it and we dissect it. And I think it's safe to say, Rich, that for those first four episodes, you weren't impressed at all, were you? No, I certain things that were revealed in the first episode. I was I was quite positive about it. It felt a bit slow. It felt a bit, you know, as if they want to take their time. And I've got absolutely no issue with that whatsoever. I was quite happy with with that. 
Yeah, first episode was um, chapter one, Stranger in a Strange Land. And I'm right in saying, from memory, that was the episode where we saw him crawl out of the Sarlacc pit. Yes, it is, yeah. And I think right. that's, I think that was the thing that got us, because that, that thing has kind of gone in, in, into Star Wars myth, hasn't it? Yeah. Showing his, his kind of... He did have a bit of a bit of a mug's death, didn't he, in, in Return of the Jedi? A half-blind, you know, accidentally bashes his rocket pack, causing it to ignite, and then he flies into the side of Jabba sail barge and then falls into the Sarlacc. Yeah. It wasn't really a kind of death befitting the character as cool as him. The best thing they could have done is not killed him, but they did, and... Well, I say killed him. He was got rid of, and, you know, there was a lot of fan theory and i think it was actually written into some of the expanded universe stories be they in comic or or book form in the intervening years between return of the jedi and then the the disney buyout which kind of erased all of the expanded universe stuff and you know stories were told of the fact that boba fett escaped from the sarlacc pit yeah you know it was great to finally see that and in keeping with the continuity that we've seen in season two of the mandalorian when he turns up without his armor we see the jawas coming along and stripping him of his mandalorian armor which obviously they would and then you know it it, it later falls into the hands of cobb vanth and then falls to mando and then mando ends up giving it to boba fett when uh, he needs his help yeah so yeah that, that was really cool i did like that and then that is intercut then You've got two time periods to play, haven't we, in, in the first four episodes of this show. And yeah. I think we've both agreed, and I, I think that Neil and you know other friends of ours with whom we've discussed this have agreed, that on paper it does seem like a good idea. And I think it's something that they could have looked to sustain for one or two episodes at the most, but dragging it out like they did, I, I think it did the overall story a bit of a disservice. And once we've seen how Jabba survives the Sarlacc pit... I don't think we really needed to go into too much detail about his his time after that because it's going back and forth, it's intercutting. This isn't the Godfather Part Two. This isn't jumping between timelines in, in, in such a brilliantly crafted manner. And I, I just I remember thinking, I don't want to see the stuff with the sand people. I, I want to see Boba Fett being a badass, kicking ass. And then even when he was going you know, into the future timeline, that kind of wasn't really happening, was it? Well, well, that was the thing, wasn't it? It was if you were intercutting between two exciting sequences or two exciting things. It's a bit, you know, you, you say about Godfather Part Two there, but in Arrow, the CW show, when that first started, it was set uh, Oliver Queen returning to Starlin City, playing out his return after having been stranded on an island for five years, and the dual story that played out over five years was his his return to the city and g- going back into normal life and taking on the mantle of Green Arrow. Yeah. But then at the same time, it was intercut with how he survived on the island. Mm. So they were two interesting stories yeah. and often there'd be parallels with each episode. There'd be parallels about sort of lessons learned and things that he did five years ago compared to what was going on at the moment. Mm. Now the problem, one of the problems that I found with this was, was that the the idea of him being with the sand people for however long it was, because we never found out, was okay and was interesting. And, and I get that it was about teaching him about uh, being part of a family, part of a tribe seeing people being mistreated by the gangs and the and the you know the groups that exist within that within Tatooine but the problem was it was just quite dull and it was dragged out and then when you were coming back to present day nothing much was happening in the present day either so mm. you you didn't even have that kind of tease to come back to what was going to happen next it seemed really patchy and really badly paced i yes. think maybe i mean we already know what's happened we already know where he is now 
from the la- the closing sequence of Mando season two. Yeah. So perhaps it would have benefited from a caption on the screen five years earlier or whatever it was, and then telling his story and bringing it up to present day in real time, as opposed to flicking between the two. Because actually what was going on in Mos Esper wasn't very interesting. Yeah. It didn't feel very Boba Fett. So we, we hadn't yet earned the changes, or not earned, we hadn't really learnt the changes in his character which would then dictate that he'd be behaving in this way. I, I don't mean to bring the episode down in tone, but I think it would be remiss of me if I didn't refer to the ramblings of our curmudgeonly uh, friend, the late Jim Cottle. Hmm. Now, if we said that Jim Cottle was a fan of Boba Fett, the character, I think that'd be a bit of an understatement, wouldn't it? And, a and, colossal you know, understatement. Original trilogy era Star Wars in general is his bread and butter. And when he was going on his wild final rant about the, you know, the, the final episode and and everything about this series that he didn't like, sort of, you know, spewed out of his brain. Hmm. One of the things he kept repeating, like the um, often drunk madman he is, is that none of it made sense. Yeah. And there's so much stuff in this story that seems to be either poorly conceived and just when you think of it in terms of the law that Star Wars has created, which is vast and huge and, you know, it's it's not going to be easy to often operate within the confines of that continuity. But some of the stuff just simply doesn't make sense. Moving on to the second episode. Flashes then back to... In, in the first episode, he defeated the six-armed creature, which was a nice nod to Ray Harryhausen, and that sort of engendered him then to the... Uh, yeah. sand people and then he's he kind of gets accepted into the tribe and it but in order to sort of really gain their trust he takes it upon himself to go and steal some swoop bikes off the uh, the, the nikto swoop gang then take on this this train which is is causing the sand people so much problem by going through the territory and as it goes through it it's shooting at anyone that happens to be anywhere near it one cool thing about that episode that I did like was when Fett went to confront the gang at Toshi Station, which is obviously mentioned in the original Star Wars from 1977 yep. and is featured in a, in a whole deleted subplot that you yourself alluded to in our Star Wars episode in which Luke meets up with his old friend Biggs. He goes to Toshi Station, he sees Biggs and he sees two other friends who are Cammy and Fixer who were played in the original by Anthony Forrest and Koo Stark and they found two actors actually look quite a bit like them to play the same characters in yeah. this episode, which I thought was a really nice nod to the original Star Wars. If anyone wants to see the original footage of, of those characters, it can be seen in the Blu-ray saga, which has got like all six films in it. But yeah, you know, I did like that. But then one of the things, where if you think of the ramblings of Jim Cottle when he was saying it doesn't make sense, and the thing about the train doesn't make sense, what do they need a train for in an age where everyone has got a flying vessel of mm. some kind? Why would they need to transport anything, especially through a hostile territory like the deserts of Tatooine? Why would they need it transported via a hover train? It literally just seems as if they can set up this sort of Lawrence of Arabia-esque sort of ambush that's on the train. That's what I say, yeah. Again, it seems to be something that's done for convenience. All the episodes of this series which feature Boba Fett on Tatooine, there's definitely a strong sort of western vibe to it in a western you're going to have a train robbery and it just seems as if it's done for convenience whereas within the star wars universe that's established unless you can give some sort of narrative explanation as to why you can't have spaceships or or any sort of flying craft transporting the spice or whatever it is i I don't know is is it was it ever mentioned no it wasn't no it wasn't and it just felt forced it just felt it felt it felt felt we're going to 
put in as many Western references as we possibly can because this is yeah. a Western. Yeah. And it just, yeah, it just, it didn't feel, it didn't feel organic. It just felt forced and it felt out of place. And, you know, I didn't, I didn't not enjoy the sequence. It was just, I felt it went on a bit too long. It was fine. But as you say, then when you start to pick it apart, you know, you know, I didn't want to be watching yeah. episode two of Boba Fett thinking, this is fine. I wanted to be thinking to myself, I can't wait for the next episode. This is, you know, this has got me by the collar. And I just, you know, I am completely gripped by all of this and, and, and loving every bit of it. Yeah. But uh, by this point, I think I'd started to say to you guys by this point, I don't know. I, I, I... Yes, though you were rich. Now, and I, I don't mean this in any sort of disparaging way, Rich, but I think you kind of dragged down my opinion of this show or... <laughs> Or, or pulled it down, pulled me down to earth yeah. maybe, because first two episodes, I was quite enjoying it, because it's Star Wars, and it wasn't as, it, it wasn't in, in any way offending my Star Wars sensibilities, like some of the stuff we've had in the yeah. last few years really yeah. has, and it seems to be now as if my expectations for Star Wars in this era are so low, that as long as something passes mustard, I'm willing to mm. accept it, and kind of not be too harsh on it and this show up until this point it didn't really offend me i was really thinking about the logical stuff or illogical stuff like the train it was then when we came to the third episode the streets of moss esper and i think it was at that point that after seeing that episode and all getting together as we did every wednesday night uh, once all of us had seen the episode and sort of pooling our collective thoughts on it that we all kind of gave a sort of group sigh at what yeah. we'd just seen. And what I'm referring to there, the mods, the Vespa gang. <laughs> and we've discussed Robert Rodriguez on the podcast before. We've devoted an entire episode to Alita Battle Angel, a film that we didn't yeah. mind. wasn't bad at all. And has actually got quite a big following and, and a lot of people crying out for a sequel for it. Robert Rodriguez has directed some fairly decent films. He's directed some trash as well. But this episode, uh, this, this third episode, whoever came up with this idea of this this gang. I think with Star Wars, when you bring in real-world stuff from our world, you start to tread a very fine line because a galaxy far, far away, a long time ago, that is nothing to do with us, nothing to do with Earth, when you start to bring very specific Earth-related things into it, it starts to pull you out of the artificial yeah. reality that George Lucas worked so hard to create. And he did such a good job of it. And when you've got gang riding around on hover bikes that just look like vespers they are modified humans so they're called mods it's a reference to it the bloody vesper gangs who used to go around in the 60s who were called mods is. and it, this was the fucking quadrophenia yeah. episode yeah i was expecting phil daniels to pop up <laughs> it was we were all just banging our heads against the wall and just saying no no what are you doing you take a little bit of a disappointment away if the bike chase had been half decent. Look, if this had been like the speeder bike chase, and I'm not even going to say the obvious one in Return of the Jedi, which 39 years on is still a goddamn yeah. masterpiece of filmmaking. Let's just look at the speeder chase in The Mandalorian, yeah. where we see you know uh, scout troops again chasing Grief Karga's transport through, through that ravine. It's superb. It really is. It's not difficult, is it, to, to do a decent chase scene? And, like... This was just slow motion, wasn't it? It was so badly done. And I think something we'll come to later on, it's going to be unavoidable, and most of it is based around assumption and speculation. 
because the truth is not at this point going to be available to anyone. But it does seem as if there have been some sort of behind the scenes problems at Lucasfilm, which have sort of beset this show, which have caused alleged complete reshuffles of the structure of the show, as we'll come to with episodes five and six, which makes such a rapid departure from yeah, the story yeah, yeah. so far. And actually, episode five doesn't even feature the title character in it. It all seems a bit kind of what really was yeah. going on. When you look at how badly executed this chase scene was, it's got to be—you've got to be thinking, you know, Star Wars. Even when it's structurally, in terms of a story and a plot and acting, when it's structurally poor, it's still, as far as the actual technical execution, is always tip-top and on form. I'm not going to hide my disdain for the sequel trilogy, but from a point of view of the visuals, they still try their best to make it look yeah. great. When Star Wars starts looking like this, in terms of, like, this looks like a really shoddy, cheap, cheesy science fiction Well, well this is the thing, and I'm thinking, is it COVID? Is it, uh, is it, at the end of the sequence, I thought, you know, we're watching things at the moment now. We're seeing things being televised now, whereby often you can see where they've had to change things because of COVID. There's fewer people on the screen. You can see that people are doing things at greater yeah. distance. No, I'm not saying that's what happened in this, but I got the distinct vibe that this was something that would have been tighter shot, closer, faster. They would have been closer together. I don't know. I, I I don't know what it was, but I just felt like this was a bike chase sequence that was filmed during the height of COVID. It may not have been, but I just got this impression that it was it was kind of like we're seeing a lot of compromises being made with certain sequences and compromises being made with the amount of actors on the screen and what have you. I might be completely wrong, but I just got the impression. Yeah, but have we... I don't think, Rich, we've seen that with Star Wars yet. No, we haven't. And that's the thing, because I think with Mandalorian, with yeah. Mandalorian Season 2, I think that they were... They were coming, if I if I remember right, they were coming to the tail end of filming, or they were about three quarters of the way through filming yeah. when COVID hit, and I think they had yeah. a break then, and then came back and finished. But this started filming. If I if I'm right, this started filming around the November of 2020. Yeah. So this was kind of for America. Well, it, it was smack bang in the middle of yeah. COVID, wasn't it? Yeah. It would have been it would have been detrimentally affected by COVID. But Rich, I think all of that's moot. Yeah, yeah. Because why why was he even in there? Exactly. The whole thing of these modified humans looks like something from Alita Battle Angel. It looks like a Robert Rodriguez creation. It doesn't look like something that we've seen in Star Wars before. If Dave Filoni and John Favreau have actually written this entire series and they've been the guiding hands with regards to the story, the plot, and all of these things we're seeing, I, I'm just scratching my head thinking this completely goes against the absolutely phenomenal work they've done with two seasons of The Mandalorian, yeah. which is pulled for a lot of us, not everyone, but for a lot of Star Wars fans, it has pulled Star Wars back up to a position where we can start getting feeling really positive about Star Wars again. I just don't know what the point was of those characters. I don't no. know what the, you know, when you've got a series about Boba Fett and you've got, bounty, you know, you potentially got bounty hunters, you've got Tatooine sort of following Return of the Jedi and all, and, and the, the wealth of things they've got there. I don't know what the purpose of was of introducing these characters because I don't feel they brought anything to it. No. Uh, if, if apart, apart from distraction. Yeah. Some of the... Some of the many YouTube commentators which have been pulling apart this season, episode by episode, and the ones which are convinced that there's behind-the-scenes sh shenanigans going on in relation to some sort of battle of wills between Kathleen Kennedy, who is trying to pull Star Wars in one direction, and, the, and Favreau and Filoni, which are trying to pull it in a different direction. And this sort of biker gang concept seems almost to be like a sort of Kathleen Kennedy tick box. 
how it features young people people which you know a young audience can relate to and that isn't really something which you know star wars the original trilogy didn't feature young people did it and it still appealed to kids didn't it yeah, if, if if that is the case, then it's just a complete misunderstanding of what the audience is, because I, I honestly don't think that, that Star Wars has any issues in whatsoever in picking up new audiences. No, I really not don't. At all. It's not it's yeah. not elitist in the slightest. Star Wars is at its best. If you just look at the last episode where we you know, we, we openly said that Star Wars nineteen seventy seven or a New Hope, as it is known to most people, it tells a classic story simply. Yeah. In a simple fashion. The complex element is the fact that the universe that George Lucas has created around it, it kind of takes your attention away from the you know, the fact that like Neil said, it's a load of people stealing a plan yeah. and then blowing up a fortress. Yeah. It's a simple story. And that is when Star Wars is at its best. Yes, you can make that story more complex in terms of from an emotional point of view, like they did with The Empire Strikes Back. But adding characters like this i don't see what their agenda is here and and who this is appealing to because i've not heard a single positive comment about this vesper bike gang no and i know we're harking on about one relatively small element but this was the first episode i think where we all thought "Ooh, it looks like things are going south on this guys and we started to really have kind of the wobbles about where the show was going to go but then, but then you had Machete turned up, didn't he, with um, with the Rancor? You know, Machete was... turned up with the Rancor in episode. That was episode. Was that episode four, the Gathering Storm? Was, was episode four? Was it? Oh, I thought it was episode. Yes, three. it was. Yeah. Ah, oh, there we are. Okay, so right. it, was, it was still shit then. <laughs> <laughs> right. I I didn't mind episode four. No, I was going to say is, is is episode three the episode that ended with Black Croissant in the he got into the chamber where the Back to Tank was. I'm sure it was. I'm not... Yes, I think he was. Yeah, I think that was the episode where uh, Fett was in the in the Back to Tank and then. I can't say his name, Rich. I can't say it. The Wookiee. How do you say it? Black. I, I, I've tried reading it, and I don't know. They, they Black say it. In, is it? I, I can't say it. I don't know. It's just one of these things in my brain. I can't say his name. I don't know why. It's like a, it's like an inability for me to pronounce that. The the, the, the Wookiee bounty hunter. Yeah. <laughs> Who is pretty awesome. Mm. I was unaware of this, but he is you know a, an established character in what um, is now Star Legends. Wars. Yeah. Expanded universe canon, if that can be said to exist anymore. But yeah, that fourth episode, it kind of geared things up. And it, even the title, The Gathering Storm, suggests that something big has come in. And yeah, the Pike Syndicate are running spice throughout uh, Tatooine. And they're looking to take control of the planet in order to, you know, run this, this drug throughout um, that, that part of the, of the galaxy. Yeah. And, you know, that episode ends with, you know, Fennec Shand and, and, and Fett having a discussion about the fact that they need more muscle. And all throughout this, I thought, there's no way that you're going to be able to take on anyone. You've got no sort of, you've got no force whatsoever. But he's badly injured, isn't he? Which, yes. again, what is he injured from? He's, he's getting over his time in the Sarlacc pit. Now, but it's how much five years. Yeah, because apparently, yeah, this is set, or Mandalorian, and, and the timeline we're in now is set five years after the events of Return of the Jedi. So in the flashback scenes that we're seeing with him getting out of the Sarlacc and then befriending the, the Sand People, that could seem to be a couple of days, weeks, or months after Return of the Jedi. But then when we get to the point now in the present where he is every day or every night having to go into the back to tank, is that because of the stuff that he sustained in the Sarlacc? I, I, I don't know. It's never really made clear. It's not, is it? And then, but but then he's on a he's he's clearly on a course of treatment, isn't he? Because at, yes. at, at the end of at the end of episode four, he's now fully healed, which yeah. again is just completely not explained. No, it's not. It's it not. doesn't make any sense at all. So then that kind of finishes on an ominous note. 
And then Fennec Shan says, how many credits you got? He says, I've got enough because she says, we're going to need some muscle. And then the Mandalorian's theme music plays. The episode ends and we're thinking, right, now we know what's coming. Yeah. And then we move on to episode five, which, uh, spoiler alert, is called Return of the Mandalorian. And, and can you remember what the can you remember what the description was on Disney Plus? An unexpected ally turns up and it's called... Unexpected, yeah, no one saw this coming, did they? So if you don't already know the Mandalorian music and you can't read the episode title, there yeah. is an unexpected ah, ah, Right, but Rich, on Disney Plus, they never posted the episode title. That Did only came up on screen during the episode. It was oh, always okay. Chapter 5 and then the brief synopsis, right, um, okay. which obviously you and I and Neil and Jim have spent many an hour coming up with all sorts of different <laughs> synopsises just to discuss, just to sort of take the mick out of how boring a lot of these episodes were. I think my fa- my favourite one was Boba Fett Sees a Cat. <laughs> <laughs> Boba Fett Uses a Pencil. Boba Fett Hears a Strange Sound. It's like, how boring did yeah. they make some of these some, these episode synopsis they, I, i'm not even going to go into disney plus now and read any of them out but they were just like you're not really selling this show to me no it's not at all not really at all not so this episode is directed by bryce dallas howard it Thanks. is no bryce dallas howard who has directed some cracking episodes of the mandalorian yes daughter of ron howard director of solo i, I think it goes without saying that this is where things took a complete about turn in terms of quality and i gotta say rich I thought this episode was fantastic. It was fantastic. It was a great episode of The Mandalorian. It was a great episode of The Mandalorian. I just want to point something out, right? Before we carry on, okay? I'm, yeah. I'm on, I remember this quote. So I've, whilst we've been talking, I've just looked for an IMDb and to see if it's there, and it is, right? When yeah. this series was first launched, so we had the reveal at the end of Series 2 of The Mandalorian, right? Yeah. It, it hadn't been announced prior to that, so that was the first we knew the series was coming. Yeah. So John Favreau, Mandalorian's mm-hmm. creator and showrunner, soon yeah. clarified that the series was its own series, separate from the third season of The Mandalorian, right? Right. And do you remember, we had a conversation with with Neil and Jim. I think Jim had posted a screenshot of this, of, of, of something, something similar, and it was a case of, this is going to be separate from The Mandalorian. And yeah. we all said, well, how can it be separate from The Mandalorian? It's completely set up at the end of The Mandalorian, and it's within yeah. the same world and, and all the rest of it. What I wasn't expecting was smack bang in the middle of the series, when mm. I'm at my most bored, mm-hmm. for them to bring me back in by showing me two episodes of The Mandalorian, which is yeah. what did. Yeah, the way it starts off. And one of the biggest criticisms I've had of Star Wars is when we see the same places over and over again. If it's a bright centre to the universe, then this is the place where it's furthest away from is, is Luke's description of Tatooine in the original Star Wars film. Yeah. So it's one of the Outer Rim territories. It's not anywhere near Coruscant at the centre of the Star Wars galaxy. It's, it's a little dusty desert planet. It's away from everything. Yet everything important in Star Wars seems to gravitate back towards this planet. Well, they chose the worst place to hide Luke Skywalker, didn't they? Because it's where everyone is. Yeah. And <laughs> as it turns out, it's where his, his, his father grew up. <laughs> Great. Uh, hiding in plain sight but anyway we digress the point i'm trying to make is when we're seeing the same locations over and over again and i have said that my biggest criticism with the boba fett story in this series is the fact that i didn't want to see him going back to tatooine once he's got his armor back in the mandalorian season two he doesn't need to go back to tatooine he doesn't need to go and dethrone bib fortuna because that is small potatoes compared to what boba fett you know, Boba Fett was working for the Empire. Yeah. He was bounty hunting for Darth Vader, no less. Having read 
you know, Kevin J. Anderson's Tales of the Bounty Hunters book years ago. As soon as this show was mentioned, I was thinking, please give us something like that, please. And then when we saw the trailer and they showed that it was going to be Boba Fett actually trying to get a little bit more legit, trying to realise that, you know, the Bounty Hunter's job is a mugs game. And yeah, you know, look look how that worked out for him in Return of the Jedi, ultimately. Mm. And him kind of doing a Don Corleone and actually trying to seize power and, and become a powerful kind of crime lord himself. I thought, well, yeah, an older, wiser Boba Fett might actually make that decision. And because, you know, as, as we you know, get older, we change the way we think changes you know, the kind of folly of youth kind of evaporates away. And I thought, you know, actually this might be, you know, a good storyteller won't give an audience the story they think they want. It'll give them the story that they need, but they didn't actually realise that they wanted. And I thought, yeah. yeah, yeah, I like where this is going. But unfortunately, it hasn't panned out. It hasn't told us any sort of engaging story with regards to anything Boba Fett is up to on Tatooine. Then when we get to this episode and we see the Mandalorian in a completely different location, the likes of which we've never seen before in Star Wars, it was kind of like... it. They didn't even show us the actual, what I surmise would be a star that this kind of strip is surrounding. But if you look back at the Star Trek The Next Generation episode, Relics, it's the one where James Tuhan turns up as, as uh, Scotty. And he has kind of trapped himself in a transporter loop for decades. Yes. And they find this little shuttle that has crash-landed on a Dyson Sphere. Now, a Dyson Sphere is a hypothesized huge structure that would be built around a star and the star falling within that structure then would give light and energy and whatever of an infinite source but the idea is ridiculous because to get enough metal or material to form this huge structure that's as a safe distance around a star is just completely absurd so the idea of a dyson sphere is just ridiculous Mm. it would it would would take a, a race and a you know, with technology beyond imagination and with resources beyond imagination. But what we see here is just a strip going around the star. Even though they don't actually show us the star, we actually see a light source, which would suggest that it is a, what I have given the term a Dyson strip, which is a far more plausible sort of version of the Dyson sphere. And it just looked so frigging cool. Seeing the Mandalorian in an environment in the Star Wars universe that we've not seen before, it just worked. But then yeah. it's also then further in his story. And it's showing us what has happened to him after season two of The Mandalorian. And then he meets up with the Forger. And I can't remember the name of the big guy, but you know he's the, he's the big sort of heavy gunner Mandalorian. Yeah. He's obviously still in possession of the Darksaber, which he's um, sort of won or, or taken from Moff Gideon. My only issue with this with this episode, Rich, is the fact that when the, <laughs> when the Forger says to him, have you taken your helmet off? And yeah. he says why well if you have you'll no longer be a mandalorian at which point i would have said in that case no exactly (laughs) exactly but why does he say he's a bounty hunter who's used to finding himself in sticky situations who will say and do what he needs to say and do in order to survive but at this moment in time he has the he has the attack of the honest bun well, it's like the classic. Remember, remember Hagar the Horrible, the Viking yeah. uh, comic strip in the Sun. And my the, the only one I'll ever remember is one that is just you know it, it's the funniest comic strip I've ever read. It's Hagar is leaving uh, the the house, and Helga, his wife, says to him, "Where are you going?" And he says, "Liars Club." She says, "Will you be home late?" And he says, "No." <laughs> <laughs> it's fucking. It's genius. It's like no. He's, no, no, I didn't take my helmet. Took my helmet off. I'm, I'm a Mandalorian. Yeah, exactly. That's against our creed. No, no, no. I don't know where you heard that from. Anyway, um, so maybe you're gonna forge me some cool shit. <laughs> exactly. Why? why? 
you know, it, it doesn't make, again, going back to what Jim Carter says, it doesn't make any sense, does it? Not much really happens. He kind of gets sort of his, his title of Mandalorian taken from him, which is going to be quite problematic um, when they're looking to give the name to season three. Yeah. <laughs> they, they could call it Din Djarin, I suppose. Mm. He then makes his way back to uh, Tatooine, and then he meets up with Amy Sedaris's character, Pelly Motto, the, the mechanic. Yeah. Who has just walked off the stage of Saturday Night Live. Yes. And <laughs> I don't dislike her character, but I think the level of acting on display kind of pulls me out of Star Wars. And it's got that sort of almost sitcom kind of quality to it. Yeah, I, I think I said the same, didn't I, when we were talking yeah. about her. The, the, no, I don't, I don't dislike her. No, I don't uh, dislike her character. I think she's pretty cool. And then we see a kind of extended sort of scene of her building him a ship. And it's it's an it's a Naboo starfighter. Yeah, it's a Naboo it? starfighter. Yeah. And as much as I am not one of the people that lovingly embraces you know, George Lucas's Star Wars prequels, they are to me canon. Love them or hate them. And any time that you're going to be bringing stuff from the prequel trilogy into this show and making it canon, I'm all for that. Yeah. As long as it's done and it keeps the story relevant, I thought that was pretty cool. And I thought, why are they taking so much time in, in showing you know the construction of this ship? But obviously, this ship is going to be his replacement for the Razor Crest. The Razor yeah. Crest almost became a character in the previous two seasons. Yeah. You know, we we were all a little bit sad when it got blown to smithereens by the Empire. And uh, yeah, you know it. It, it makes sense that if you're going to invest yourself in a piece of machinery, you've got to spend a bit of time with it and, and show the amount of you know, sort of care and attention that went into constructing it. And then, you know, the episode... Well, how, how, how many years is it between this series, or this, this, yeah. this story is set, and The Phantom Menace? That would be... If this is five years... Five years after, after Return of the Jedi. Return of the Jedi was a year after Empire. Empire was three years after Star Wars. So say, say ten years between this and Star Wars. And I think, yeah, 30 years ago. Okay, so, so Phantom Menace would have been about... Th- about well, ooh, I don't know. I don't know, maybe uh, Revenge of the Sith would have been 30 years ago. Yeah, so to get it back, yeah, because Anakin... 40, maybe 45 40 years. years. Okay. So yeah. we, say, we say 40 is a fair guess. Yeah. When Mando is uh, taking the, the ship for a test drive, for a test flight, yeah. and it goes down through the canyons and the caverns and everything like that, he goes past a big pile of rubble. He and does, a big, and a big and a big sort of a big pile of broken. It, it's the signage, isn't it, from the pod race? Signage. So in forty mm. years, it hasn't rotted, dried up, nope. been taken away, cleared yeah. up. The Jawas haven't gone and taken any little bit of anything nope. they could from it. Bear it's in mind, still there in the same pile that it was in after it got destroyed. And it's not like Rich that we're on a desert planet where a sandstorm could come any time and sort of move that debris. No, exactly. Feet. There's, mm. there's. I have said many times, I am, a, I am an absolute tyrant for canon and continuity i love little easter eggs i love yeah. little paybacks that... that was a cool easter egg but like jim cart would say made no sense it made no sense made no sense no sense one bit that actually to me sort of remember that sort of joyous feeling when tony stark takes the mark ii suit for a test flight in iron man yeah the all sort of silver chrome one yeah yeah yeah. you know and then when he makes the the, the mark three and then he, he gets intercepted by the uh, fighter jets yeah it's joyous, isn't it? Yeah. You know, it's that thing of we want to fly, don't we? We all want to be Superman. Yeah, absolutely, yeah. And the Mandalorian, having even for a short period of time being without a ship, and then because they take so much time to show the ship being built, when he actually takes it for test flight then, and this thing is going like the clappers, it was, it was yeah, it's pretty cool. I like it. You know, we have a really cool, and I like the way that shot was framed with the X-wings either side of him, and the planet, instead of being below us, is actually to the side of us. Yes, yeah. And so they're kind of perpendicular to the planet. I thought that was really cool. It's another neat little visual touch. 
just to make sure that everything doesn't look the same. He then agrees to help, uh, you know, Fennec Chan turns up, because again, Boba Fett hasn't turned up in, in, in this fifth episode of his own first season. No. She turns up and says, look, he needs some help, he needs some muscle. And he says, ah, okay, I'll, I'll do it for free because I kind of owe the guy. Yeah. And that's it, the episode's done. But he also says, I've got to go and pay a visit to a little friend. And it's like, he may as well just say, I'm going to visit Grogu. Yeah. Yeah. So, great episode. Moving on now. Chapter 6, From the Desert Comes a Stranger. God, there's a lot packed into this episode. Yes, there is. Mandalorian, he goes to whatever this planet is that Luke Skywalker is now on with Grogu. Ahsoka Tano is there. Yes. He goes with this little sort of <laughs> chainmail <laughs> scar vest that the Forger has made. <laughs> it, it's a little vest. It's a bit little, crap, isn't it? Can you imagine if he if he gave to me, put it on, and he did a gimbal? He goes, oh, it's a little tight across the chest. <laughs> I'd be like, ah, oh, come on. How did you know? You know, the little fella's growing all the time, you would yeah. you would think, you know. Yeah, it's made of the most valuable metal in the universe. And, um, yeah, in about a year, mate, it's going to be too small for you. <laughs> but anyway, right, this episode is directed by one of the show creators and writers, Dave Filoni. Dave Filoni. And... It goes without saying that this episode was pretty good, to say the least. It was. It did so much, didn't it? It gave us it gave us Grogu, which is always good. Um, it gave us Cobb Vanth. And then it gave us the actual stranger referenced in the title of Cad Bane. Cad Bane. Wow. Um, yeah. I know who Cad Bane is, but I have never seen any, or I've never I've never seen any of the cartoons which he's appeared in i've never read any of the comics which he's appeared in I've, I've never read any of the star wars books that he's been in i just know of him i know that he's one of the many badass characters in star wars he has a long history with boba fett he yeah, does in Clone wars. and but again i'm not steeped in no. that sort of expanded star wars law or even canon law um, in relation to the cartoons because i've never watched any of them to know that much about him yeah. as soon as i saw that silhouette i thought holy shit is that cad bane the voice the, the voice is phenomenal cory burton cory yeah. burton who voiced him in the series. <clears throat> he did, that's right. Yeah, which is pretty cool. But we're skipping ahead of ourselves. Let's go back to that planet with Luke Skywalker. Now, did any of us expect after that season two finale of The Mandalorian to be getting this much Luke Skywalker? Not in the slightest. Not in the slightest. And what did we all say um, a few days after or maybe a week after that episode dropped when that young lad, I assume he's a young lad, I think he is, who in his bedroom on his computer actually came up with better deepfake technology than yeah. what Lucasfilm had employed. And then, lovely story, they've then approached him and they've now given him a job. Yeah. And the reason that the deepfake technology in this episode is so much better than the last time we saw a de-aged Mark Hamill is because they've got this same lad now who's come on board as a, a technical advisor who is now actually assisting in, in making this deepfake technology work better. It's just brilliant, isn't it? It is. And... In an alternate universe where things had panned out differently, we would have been given episodes 7, 8, and 9 in the early 90s. And yeah. they would have, you know, for a lot of people, they would have kind of followed something along the lines of Timothy Zahn's trilogy of books. Yeah. Which perfectly took the saga elsewhere. You know, it, it took place just a few short years after the events of Return of the Jedi. It focused on Luke, Leia, Han, uh, Lando, Chewie. You know, they were all there. Yeah. When we got the sequel trilogy, it was it was too late. They, they were all too old. Yeah. And having this now is kind of it's sort of fulfilling that sort of vacuum that is left by never having those stories. We yeah we've had them in the form of books and stuff, but they've they, they're not really canon as such anymore. Just seeing Luke as a as an older wise you know 
not even that much older, just like you know, five years after Jedi, and and he now is training this this little foundling um, in in the ways of the Force, and and it's just great. It is really good. It was it was yeah incredibly well done. It was. But what it does do is it sets up, and it, it, if you're watching it, you, you may be completely oblivious to this, but what it does do, it sets up them pulling apart everything that Mandalorian Season 2 works so hard to establish. Because when it gets to the end of the episode, and Luke Skywalker is giving Grogu the option of, if you pick the Beskar chainmail, you can go back to the Mandalorian and your training here will be over. Or, I'm going to give you Master Yoda's lightsaber. If you pick that, then you're going to stay with me, and I'm going to teach you the ways of the Force, and you're going to become a Jedi. And it's given us crossroads, and then, and sorry to jump ahead, but I can't make my point without going ahead of the finale. When Grogu goes back to the Mandalorian, having chosen the chainmail, it completely takes away from the emotional gut punch that was the Mandalorian Season 2 yeah, finale. it does. Where this character, which he has just grown to love, and have such a strong bond with, and for the greater good, he has to separate himself from this little creature. It's just heartbreaking. It's it's a strange choice because Star Wars steep law only sits dealing absolutes. That's right. Oh, Rich. Oh my God, I'm so glad you said that because I was thinking that myself. So and it wasn't because of any meme I saw. It was just let. Hang on, that does seem a little bit kind of inflexible. So I just wonder whether or not, actually, that because we didn't see him make the choice and we didn't see the conversation that came after, yeah. you know, may, maybe it's not at this moment in time, but maybe, you know, maybe it'll be realised, like, maybe there'll be a retcon going on at some point in the future, but it may actually transpire that, no, that was a test or it was some sort of... Can we even surmise at this point? We can't. In fact, let's not even go down that rabbit hole, yeah. Rich. What I, what I would say is, with Luke Skywalker, is that there's been there's been equal amounts of criticism, or probably it's more 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 positivity than criticism. But some of the criticism leveled at it is that you know you still you can yeah. still tell that it's computer generated. You can the voice is there, and I just think, do you know, yeah. I I I know that that isn't Mark Hamill. I know that this is, you know, we're watch. as I said, I think I said in the group, Star Wars, we watch people flying around yeah, in, yeah. in spaceships yeah. fighting with like laser swords, right? We know it's not real, but for the suspension of disbelief that I can believe that there are lightsabers and people flying around in spaceships and all these different things, that same level of disbelief I, I can rich. suspend yeah. to accept that that's Luke Skywalker. Okay, if you study the yeah. mouth when he's speaking... It, it sometimes it doesn't quite line up. Well, I mean, ultimately, if you are doing that, then you aren't engaged in the story. And I just think that actually it's better than showing animated, which has been their way around things up until now, for, you know, for Clone Wars and Bad Batch and what have you. This is as close as we've got to seeing Luke Skywalker in his prime. And, and I buy every bar of it. You know, they, mm. they, they're clearly the tricks they've done. A lot of the a lot of the speech is done when he's not facing the camera or the camera's behind him or is at a distance. Okay, that's fine. That they, they are storytelling and filmmaking quirks and tricks and fine. I've got no issue with it at all. For that 25 minutes that were with Luke Skywalker, I buy every minute of it. It did kind of pull me out of it a little bit because I just wasn't as invested in it because I, I, I was just thinking, yeah, you know, he's when we we're seeing his when we're hearing him talk, it's often with his face off screen. And obviously because they, they just can't make it look as realistic as, as a human talking but i still and i know a lot of people don't but i still do manage mm. to suspend that disbelief a little bit better when i'm watching rogue one with grand moff tarkin i think i i, I don't get any of the criticism of grand moff tarkin i don't and i actually i actually buy that better than i buy this 
and I'm going to contradict something I said in the last episode. I'm not going to contradict it. I'm just going to make. I'm just going to hit it head on. I said that Mark Hamill is Luke Skywalker. Yeah. Yeah. But Mark Hamill is now too old to play original trilogy era Luke Skywalker. Yeah. I just wish now the Lucasfilm would let go of that and bring in an adequate replacement. And the one that we've all suggested is bring in Sebastian Stan. Stan. Yeah. He is a close enough resemblance of Mark Hamill that if you dyed his hair blonde, he would fill that role. And he's also a brilliant actor. Yeah. I just wish now that it's going to be jarring, it's going to upset fans, and it is going to be sacrilegious. There's no bigger Luke Skywalker fan than me. I, I love the character. I always have. You know, I gave my firstborn son the middle name of Luke. Yeah. <laughs> but it is time now maybe to think of alternatives because if we don't, we're going to be relying on this technology to keep telling these stories set in the just after original trilogy period. And I don't think the technology is there to do it. I, I agree because I think that they've already done it with Obi-Wan. Uh, we now accept Ewan McGregor. You know, I know it's 25 years almost since The Phantom Menace came out. But, you know, he kind of he kind of earned that progression because we saw him as a young man who looked nothing like Alec Guinness, didn't he? So we, he, we've seen him progress towards looking more like Alec, Alec Guinness. What, what I'll compare it to, Rich, is anyone who thought that Patrick Stewart and Ian McKellen were the perfect Xavier and Magneto, mm. but then they were still able to give us younger versions of that, which were equally good. They were. Played by different actors. The difference being there is that we're looking at replacing someone who looks like... You know, with Patrick Stewart, you were looking at someone who was 50 years younger or 40 years younger. Mm. So you were setting the character earlier in time. Likewise, so I'm contradicting myself, what they did with Ewan McGregor. They brought in a young man to play the old man as a young man. Whereas what we're talking about here is replacing someone like for like. However, I totally agree with you. I think that if they'd have brought in Sebastian Stano, someone who looked very much like him and did it for this episode, and we were told that was Luke Skywalker, provided the story was good and the, and everything about it worked, it's only going to take yeah. um, it's only going to take a couple of minutes for us to get used to that and ex- and accept that because going forward, it means we're going to see more of them and we're going to ex- we're going to see that character more. And I think that they've missed a trick with or potentially missed a trick with Solo because they haven't cashed in on that. Now, there's rumours that Harrison Ford has been in de-aging. And I think, well, yeah. perhaps we want to be, maybe we'd be better off ageing up Alden, Aidenrack, whatever his name is. Old, yeah, Alden Aidenrack, yeah. I don't know what he's doing if he's free, but if he's free to come and play Han Solo, he could now be the Han Solo going forward. Take the I think, And I think he should. Yeah, I think he I should. I think he should, because I think he did a good enough job of it. And my God, didn't Donald Glover did an amazing job of being Lando. Yeah, correct. And I think... And, and, I, I think he really did. And anything going forward now that involves Lando Calrissian has to have him. Yeah. And I think the same for... For Han Solo. Yeah, I, I think so. And, you know, not to labour this point too much, though, I really do think now they really need to give strong consideration to the fact that they do, if they're going to be carrying on this story and if Luke Skywalker is going to be a prominent part of it, they do need to recast. You know, it's not because, and like I said, and I made it quite clear in the last episode, didn't I? And I went, I, I went out of my way to say, to actually defend people who were quite disparaging of Mark Hamill's performance in Star Wars, which I think is complete horseshit. I think his performance yeah. is brilliant. And it's naturalistic and it he is Luke Skywalker. And he always will be. But we're in a, in a position now where I think we need possibly to consider recasting because if it's done right, then it might work. And look, I didn't buy Ewan McGregor as Obi-Wan Kenobi in The Phantom Menace or Attack of the Clones. But by the time we got to the third film, I was starting to think, yeah. got it now. He really has. It's arguably the best bit of that film. Yeah, I think, I think his is the best performance in that film. Yeah. And I think that, and as I say, the, the things that I, the things that don't pull me out, the things you pointed out that pull you out, that don't pull me out yeah. to this episode, they work yeah. for this episode. You, you couldn't have him as a main character, never seeing his face speaking. 
just obviously to cap the episode off, Cad Bane, he, he comes to um, Cobb Vanth's town with a warning uh, to let the spice flow. And Cobb Vanth isn't having any of it. His deputy comes out and sort of steps in as well. And, you know, the deputy gets off and then Cad Bane shoots Cobb Vanth. Yeah. Yeah. Moving on then to the big finale, the big dust-up, the one we were waiting for where everything that, you know, in the previous six episodes is hopefully going to be brought together in a satisfying conclusion. Chapter 7, In the Name of Honour. Now, this was near enough an hour-long episode. Did it round things up nicely and did it put a nice cherry on top of a series that had a very wobbly start, but two episodes before the end had picked itself up? Uh, No. No. <laughs> Another quite frank to the point, no. And yeah, it didn't did it, Rich. No, it didn't at all. It didn't. And it was basically a very extended siege that, and I'm going to bring a lot of Jim Cottleisms in here because what he says is right. There's so much stuff in it that doesn't make sense. And there's also stuff in it that is outright cringeworthy, like the way one of the mods does that Robert Rodriguez El Mariachi spin with a oh, gun, it, which has now been, you know, thankfully people have turned that into a gif. But that was that 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 felt like someone said to him, "Look at this clip, do this," mm. and they only had one take. Yeah, and it was yeah. the most. It was just <laughs> I don't know. Because what... if you are going to draw your weapon and fire it against, fire it towards an opponent, doing a 360 degree twirl is just giving them more opportunity to shoot exactly. you before you actually draw your gun on them. It's it just ridiculous. made no sense. It was a complete exactly. Easter egg for something that didn't need it. It's an Easter egg. What a, what a what an arrogant Easter egg that is. Exactly. As well. Exactly. It's really not is. it's not a Star Wars Easter egg. It's a Robert no. Rodriguez Easter egg. Exactly. It's, it, it's a it's a Desperado El Mariachi um, <sighs> Easter egg, which is yeah. just like no. This stuff in the episode I thought was so well done. I thought the effects on the Rancor were yes. fantastic, and we saw so much of it. And I'm thinking. Hang on. So when you're budgeting the special effects and you're giving like $17 to do that Vespa chase in our previous <laughs> episode, and now you're creating a Rancor ripping apart Moss Espa, it looks absolutely phenomenal. Yeah. The sense of size and scale, I, I'd say, is up there with some of the best examples of size and scale I've seen in modern special effects. And I'm thinking of stuff like Guillermo del Toro's Pacific Rim from 2013. Yeah, yeah. Where those giant kaiju and those robots really have got a sense of scale and weight to them yeah i thought this is a tv show for god's sake mm. this is and we have been we've been critical of, of of this stuff are we being spoiled children because my god it looked phenomenal and then that lovely bubble of do you know what i'm actually enjoying this was burst when jim cottle rightly pointed out so if during this siege where everything's going pear-shaped boba fett decides to scoot off Instead of going to the nearby docking bay to get Slave 1 and then to blow the hell out of his enemies, he actually goes all the way back to Jabba's palace where one would conceivably imagine the Rancor is being kept. Yes. In order to bring him back. Yeah, fast. Yeah. Exactly. And then we see those sort of advanced versions of the battle droids we first saw in The Phantom Menace who literally couldn't hit the side of a barn with a tennis racket. No. They've got these impenetrable shields. You know, not even the dark saber can get through them at first, and then it comes down to the the sheer size, weight, and brute force of the Rancor in order to defeat them. And it just like so much of this battle just went on and on and on, and a lot of it was completely uninspired. And then there was the huge continuity issues with the Wookiee, whose name I can't pronounce because I'm stupid. He gets injured, and then it's alternating between he needs help from the mods in order to get around, and then he's freely walking between yeah. uh, you know one point of cover and another. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's like there was no continuity of the action. It was a complete mess. 
and Cad Bane turns up to issue a warning. Then he goes off. Then he comes back to issue another one. And then he has this con- uh, this confrontation with Bob with Boba Fett. And then Boba Fett is lying down. He's ha- he's had his ass handed to him. He's on his back. And then he somehow manages to whip out his gaffy stick, uh, knock Cad Bane to the floor, and then he stabs him through the chest. And one can only assume that Cad Bane's heart is not in the middle of his torso, neither is are any vital organs, because there's no way they're going to kill him off. No, they can't possibly. Yeah, with us having seen so little of him in, in a live-action Star Wars show. So there's no way that he's dead. And that's it, Rich. Uh, oh, and in fact, obviously, you know, the thing that I alluded to that completely undoes season two of The Mandalorian, Grogu is now back with Mando. Yeah, flying off into the sunset. Flying off into the sunset. And you know that bit at the end, that sort of coda, that post-credits bit, was it when... Um, no, uh, sorry, um, it was the end of the episode, wasn't it, with Grogu and Mando flying off? Yeah. And it should be, like, emotionally uplifting. And I was just thinking, no, I want my pain. I want my suffering, knowing that these two are apart and want to be together but can't because of Deep D and God knows what. Yeah. And the fact that they've taken the route of putting them back together, it just undoes all of the good work that that show did in season two. Unless, of course, he's taking him back to Luke. But then the end, I I can't remember whether or not it came before or after that bit. You've got Boba Fett and Fennec Shand walking through Mos Espa with his helmet under his arm, which is where it's been for most of the series. Yeah. With his great big grin on his face. Yeah. Showing those off perfect teeth. Showing off those perfect teeth, which I've yeah. taken great issue with. Yeah. And I just thought to myself, do you know what? That is not the image that I expected this the first series of the book of Boba Fett to be no. ending on. It was just no. kind of the most un Boba Fett moment was him walking around kind of the master of all he surveys and being applauded because he's now, you know, everyone loves him. It was just, it was just so not what we were expecting from Boba Fett. And I think Rich, there's, there's an issue here that we have quite obviously avoided throughout this episode and it relates to the title and the title character. And we thought that he was great in season two of the Mandalorian. We had absolutely no issue with him. We were glad to see Tamura Morrison playing him, which is obviously in keeping with his appearances in Attack of the Clones. Yeah. Whether it's combination of script, direction, and acting, or if, and I hope it's not, it just comes down to acting chops. He just wasn't ticking my boxes. He just wasn't doing it for me. He just wasn't interesting. He was bland. How much of a pushover is he in that last episode where people are saying, no, no, you need to do this. And he's like, oh, okay, yeah, we'll do that. Yeah. This is the Boba Fett that anticipated Han Solo's clever move of attaching himself to the side of a Star Destroyer and then waiting until the Imperial fleet disbanded and dumped their garbage and he'd float off into space. Boba Fett yeah. was one step ahead yeah. of Han. He was one step ahead of everyone. He's the one that tracked him then to Bespin and said, uh, Vader, get yourself to Bespin. Uh, Han Solo's going to be there in a day or two. You need to get it before them. Yeah. He was the guy that was one step ahead of everyone. Where is that character here? Where is he throughout this seven-episode series? Exactly. This this is not here, is it? It's not at all. It seems to me, Rich, as if this series has had a complete fundamental misunderstanding of the character of Boba Fett and what makes him great. And much like the mistake I think George Lucas made in 2002 with Attack of the Clones, is when you demystify a character with whom the greatest allure is the mystique, is the is the, is the stuff that you can only imagine about him, not the stuff you're told, but you see. I don't want to see what is under that armor. No, I would rather just imagine. I would just rather never be told. I was almost disappointed when the Mandalorian, you know, took his helmet off, but you knew it was going to be coming. 
but credit to Pedro Pascal for, for still playing most of two seasons under that helmet. Yeah, absolutely. Or, you know, there is the, the, the suspicion that a lot of the time it's not even him. Yeah, that's know, been, I think that's been, that's been in, in a couple of stories today. But, like you say, Rich, that helmet spent most of the time under his arm. Yeah, and we don't want to see Tamura Morrison with his beautiful glowing teeth <laughs> and his inability to emote and to instill in us any sense of him actually being a guy who is one step ahead of everyone because he doesn't do it and that I think is going to be down to a combination of the writing yeah. for quite a large part but also the direction and i got to say it in terms of his acting here it just wasn't up to scratch and he's the lead character I think he was acting as though he was wearing the mask because there yeah. was no emotion conveyed in his face. There was no, he wasn't, you know, and I don't think we'd have had anywhere near the issue with him. There's no way, Richard, in that fight against the Stormtroopers, when he is armoured up, there's no way that that's Tamura Morrison, quite obviously. No, 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 no. Because the way he's moving is literally, he's like a machine. He's like yeah. a cat. He's incredible. They could have got away with masking so much of that actor's age and inability to be that athletic by keeping the helmet on. Yeah, absolutely. Much like they've done with The Mandalorian. It's a funny thing. It's a, it, we're in a funny situation with Boba Fett in total because when Attack of the Clones came about, they, it was a very strange choice, in my opinion, to uh, to cast someone from New Zealand because Boba Fett had an had uh, not a, a New Zealand accent. So yeah, it was originally he was obviously played by the late Jeremy Bullock, who I'm so lucky to have met him and had a very long discussion with him one day back in 2010. One absolutely lovely, genuinely lovely guy. Yeah, and I talked to him for about half an hour about everything relating to his experiences on Star Wars. And then in the actual film, he's voiced by I think an actor called Jason Wingreen. That's right. Yeah. Every time I see. The Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi, the, the modern versions, the special editions, the Disney versions, whatever, and I hear Tamira Morrison's voice, I always think, no, to me, it's Jason Wingreen's voice. You didn't have a problem with having somebody else cast as him because we're the modifier on the voice or whatever. With you, You've picked two vastly different accents, so I never yes. understood, I no. never, ever understood why that choice was made. Do you know what I think it came down to, Rich? It's the fact that those films were being filmed, uh, because they were filmed in Australia, weren't they? Yeah, they were, yeah. Because I think that's why the um, the guy in the bar in Attack of the Clones, it turns up, is the young lad from The Matrix, Mouse. Yeah. You know, the one with the um, the sticks, he says. Oh, yeah, yeah, know, yeah, the, yeah. Whatever it is, he's trying to sell some drugs or something, and Obi-Wan does the Jedi mind yeah. shit on him, doesn't he? Yeah, yeah. You know, he turns up, and there's a load of... I think the girl that plays the bounty hunter that gets killed at the beginning, Django Fett's associate, mm. she is also Australian. There's, there's loads of Australian actors in it. Um, it was just a case of... Oh yeah, Tamira Morrison, that New Zealand, New Zealander from that awesome film Once Were Warriors, which he's absolutely yeah, terrifying yeah. in as Jake the Muss. Yeah, we'll cast him as Django Fett. Great if you're going to keep Django Fett as Django Fett, but then if you're going to make his son, his sort of clone son Boba Fett, a genetic copy of him with the same accent and look and everything, well, the look doesn't matter because we always see him under the helmet yeah. in the original trilogy, but the voice it just... It made no sense, yeah. but anyway, but we I, digress. But I like, but I like, I, yeah, so that was always an issue for me. And what I liked yeah. with The Mandalorian was that it brought those things that stuck out like a sore thumb. Once we had him in the Boba Fett armor, we saw, yeah. we saw... Tamira Morrison as Boba Fett, then it, it all was right with it again. And and the way they handled him in The Mandalorian, I thought I thought it was great. And that was kind of enough. And I think yeah. that it could have been a character that Mando knew 
and could call upon as and when, then mm. we'd see him as a supporting character or as a co-main character. Yeah. But it, my theory is this. We all thought we wanted a Boba Fett series. Boba Fett, one of the coolest characters in Star Wars. We've, he's on screen for something like five minutes across two films, something like that, something ridiculous, right? Steeped in, in sort of cult following and legendary, amazing character. You know, we always wanted him. Now, irrespective of what happened in Attack of the Clones, then in the Clone Wars, he was although I've only ever seen snippets of, he was quite a main character as a teen sort of growing up across the Clone Wars. Irrespective of any of that, the live-action version of Boba Fett is what we see in Empire Strikes Back and Return of the Jedi. So we've already talked about, you know, the issues with with revealing backstories and things that don't need to be said. It harmed Han Solo in, in Solo. If we'd have just had Han on an early adventure, yeah. we didn't need to have... We didn't need to find out where his name originated no, from. Because no one we? ever questioned that wasn't his real name anyway. No, that's right. Um, and it was all that sort of stuff. We didn't need to see uh, the castle run, all that sort of stuff. It was, it was yeah. no need for it. So with this, rather than giving the fans what they thought they wanted... There was all the talk of, of George Lucas's Star Wars Underworld series, which was going to be about, you know, the underworld of Coruscant. And it was going to be, you know, it was going to be these circles that Boba Fett mixed in and all the bounty hunters mixed in and all of that kind yeah. of all of that stuff away from the Skywalker saga, which was too expensive to be made at the time, sort of 10, 15 years ago. So they did the Mandalorian. And what the Mandalorian gave us was a little taster for what Boba Fett could have been. But because what, what they did was they were able to do so many things with that character without being tied to the lore of what Boba fat was mm. so they they were able to establish this badass mandalorian in armor in mandalorian armor but kind of you know in his in his methods you know the opening opening episode he cuts that guy in two in the door but over the course of the series he softens he starts to forge alliances and you see that warmer side of him with grogu and and you see him kind of and you see the where he's come from and you know everything he's been through they've done the boba fett series in the mandalorian because yeah, sure, yeah, of all did, yeah. of the things that we know about Boba Fett from yeah. from Attack of the Clones, if you just replaced the, you know, if they'd have said to us that at some point in Boba Fett's past, he got taken in by the Mandalorians and became yeah. one of their younglings, we'd have accepted that. I've, I've never seen him as a Mandalorian. I've always just seen him as a bounty hunter who took Mandalorian armor as a way to intimidate and because he's, he's, you know... The actual hardcore creed, you know, the Mandalorian religion as it is, I never saw him as one of them. No, but but if they wanted to use that for, if you think of, take out certain certain character specific elements to Din Djarin in the Mandalorian yeah. series, you could replace Boba Fett in that series, right? For all the things that happen, and and yeah, and through the course of those two years, we see yeah. him going from this. You know this cutthroat doesn't doesn't you know no, no one messes with him he yeah. takes no prisoners at all and f- as he's getting older forges yeah. these alliances forging these relationships so what they've done is they've done the boba fett series with the mandalorian, with the mandalorian yeah. and then by the time yeah. they get to this they, they introduce boba fett as a fan yeah. punch in the air really well done validate a bit of the crap that we had in attack of the clones and actually make it yeah. with while again and now sure. they're like we've got the opportunity to do a boba fett series but all the cool things that we wanted to do with him being mysterious and going on a journey, we've done it. And Rich, what's our favourite Ian Malcolm quote from Jurassic Park? Yeah, exactly. You spent so much time thinking about if you could do it, you didn't spend any time thinking whether you should do it. And they shouldn't have done it, should they? No. On which note, Rich, (laughs) 
What is your final scores for season one, which may be the only season? Who knows where they're going to be going with this of the Book of Boba Fett? Oh, this is this is really hard to do because my gut is to go five because the cool things that are in it kept me going. So it was wicked seeing him coming out of the Sarlacc pit. It was awesome seeing him riding the Rancor and how that was done. There were certain little bits through it, bringing um, Cobb Vanth back into it and Cad Bane. They were excellent bits. Yeah. The problem with this series is, is the very best elements of this series don't involve Boba Fett. Exactly. So I think there's there's a part of me which thinks that five is being a bit too generous, because if you're talking about that, but the bits that I enjoyed are the bits that are going to probably be picked up in later series, whether that's Mandalorian season three or whether that is some sort of underworld series. I don't know. We already know that post Mandalorian season three, Din Djarin is going to carry on as a character, but the Mandalorian story is over. There's, there's, there's not going to be a Mandalorian yeah. season four. It's going to be called something mm-hmm. else. So whether that's going to be the characters intersecting, who knows? Time will tell. It's I'm going to say five because that's the first thing I came to, and I'm and I'm sort of arguing myself either way. But actually, I think if I argue too much, I'm going to come down a score. So I'll stick on five. Okay. One thing I need to mention as well, Rich. Um, I'm not going to summarize anything other than you know i'm not going to add anything other than what you've just said because i fully agree with it and you've summed it up perfectly one other thing i will say that i missed out from our main discussion is the fact that i think that mignan wen's character who we loved so much as fennec shand in the mandalorian has been done a bit of a disservice because i seem as if she's been used as a crutch for the deficiencies of tamura morrison yes yeah and I, I think that her character then is left nowhere to go in terms of herself. And I think that does, you know, takes a character that was... Interesting. Well, not much about her. Yeah, interesting. She, she was interesting. interesting enough. And now she is literally kind of like the, the crutch for him. Yeah. She's actually the one that is... Like, she's she's given him exposition about a planet that he has spent years on. Yeah. She's telling him all about the, the, the politics of Tatooine. And it's like, hang on, let me stop you there. If you look back to you know the time when you know Luke Skywalker first got with uh, Han Solo and Jabba the Hutt, uh, he owed Jabba the Hutt money. I was actually there with Jabba. Yeah. I then went after him then a couple of years later and I, 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 I caught him and took him back to Jabba on Tatooine where I spent for X amount of time before I fell into the Sarlacc. So I know about this planet. And it's just like, again, stuff like Jim Cottle says, makes no sense. Yeah. Why is she explaining that to him? But then, that's a little aside. That's another little criticism I just wanted to get in before the end. But yeah, uh, Rich, I've got to be honest with you. In terms of the fact that I wasn't that offended by individual episodes of this, I was definitely going to lean towards an easy 6 out of 10 for this. And then, you know, when I think about how good that Mandalorian episode was and how good the 6th episode was, I, I would have easily comfortably settled on a 6, maybe even a 7. But then it was all undone for me in the end. And this isn't even relating to Boba Fett. This is just relating to the fact that Grogu and the Mandalorian are now back mm. together. And it just unravels the perfect ending to season 2 of The Mandalorian, which is heartbreaking, but it's just how it has to be. Yeah. Because this little foundling that's got so much potential, bearing in mind the Jedi are literally borderline extinct, he shouldn't be going off with a bounty hunter. No. As much as the Mandalorian is is an honourable and, and great guy, he should be with Luke Skywalker. And unless they very quickly get them back together, it just doesn't seem right. The whole thing has sort of been unravelled by the time we get to the end episode and we get to our characters being where they are. There's nothing interesting about this story with regards to Boba Fett that I've seen other than we finally got to see him escape from the Sarlacc pit. It then made no sense when he went back to try and retrieve his armour because he lost his armour when he got out. He, surely he must remember climbing out of the pit with his armour yeah. on. 
So at some point after that, his arm has been taken. Why is he then going back to the pit other than to give us a nice jump scare moment and just ad admittedly cool seeing that seismic sonic sort of charge bomb again, which we saw in Attack of the Clones and then again in Season 2 of The Mandalorian. But it just it didn't make any sense. The thing with it, going back to the thing with the with the Rancor as well, coming back with the Rancor, aside from, quite aside from the not going back and getting Slave 1, it was so long ago that Machete had turned up with the Rancor that there was a there was a little comment that was made and it was kind of you'll you'll get your opportunity or something like that and it kind of to me suggested that maybe maybe there was double dealing going on by the Hut twins and it was going to be a case yeah. of that the Rancor was going to perhaps attack Boba Fett but by that point because they'd gone off because the story was so disjointed and patchy and and disconnected yeah. I had completely forgotten about the Rancor and it was kind of although it was cool to see him ride in the Rancor it was too f long ago that he brought him back there'd been no kind of mention for four episodes. Sure. Yeah. And it was just kind of, uh, it was just, again, it just showed the the patchiness and the unevenness of the story. Yeah, I agree. Look, I, I'm going to have to, Rich, when I'm thinking of the score in this episode, sort of remove episodes five and six, because I just don't think they, I just don't think they're episodes of this. I think they're season 2.5 of The Mandalorian. Agreed. But then when it all falls apart at the end and damage is actually done to the story of The Mandalorian and Grogu, I've got to drop it down from what I was going to give it and I'll match your score with a, a five out of ten. Fair enough. So there you go. That's a full 89 verdict for season one of the book of Boba Fett of five out of ten. Oh dear. Do you know, I'm looking at the poster. I'm looking at on, on IMDb. I'm looking at the poster. And that poster is infinitely cooler than seven episodes of the book of Boba Fett. Yeah. And it's just the one with um, with him and Fennec Shand. Yeah. And shit. I know. And it's that cool fact with Boba Fett, isn't it? Yeah. Oh dear. There we go. Anyway. Oh, look, see what we've done now. We've just had two and a half hours of glowing positivity about Star Wars in our previous episode. I'll be honest, this is why I didn't want to do this episode, Rich. <laughs> and like you said earlier, now, you're going to go to bed and you're going to grumble yourself to sleep I now. I think I might just have to drink myself into a coma before I go to bed. You're going to be grumpy forget, rich now. I am going to be grumpy rich. Do you oh, know, nothing worse, there's nothing worse than grumpy rich. There, there is oh, nothing worse. That was one of the things as well. As, as we were recording the Star Wars episode last week, one of the things that kept coming to me was, I, I, I said it a couple of times in the episode, about it being, if you when you approach that story without all of the lore, without all of the shackles mm. of everything that's come before it, and, yeah. and you can just watch it in its you know as purely as you possibly can yeah. forgetting what we know you turn that on its head for this for this series because yeah. it is so steeped in lore and legend and expectation mm. and everything that you can't say that it, it hadn't you know it, 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 it there was no hope you can't say that it couldn't have been successful because the mandalorian was successful but somewhere along the lines, isn't it? Something's fallen apart behind the yes. scenes and things have not gone as smoothly as they should. And we've ended up pretty much with a bit of a Frankenstein's monster. Of I a think show, so. I like, mess. And it's interesting that we haven't seen an announcement for Book of Boba Fett Season 2. That's right. Anyway, that's a conversation for another time. Yeah. Let's not surmise as to what the future is going to be because I think at the moment we don't know what it is, do we really? We don't know. And we're all at the behest of future announcements from Disney and Lucasfilm as to where they're going to be taking this story. But for the moment... Ugh, I think they've kind of undone a lot of the good work that they've done, you know, for the last couple of years. Yeah, I think so. Well, that was a little whistle-stop whistle tour of the Book of Boba Fett season one. Yes, and one thing that, you know, I would have given it a comfortable six, but the series didn't actually feature any sort of book, so it's going to lose a point for that. <laughs> Exactly. So, Rich, where can people reach you if they want to hit you up on social media to vehemently disagree with the comments you've made tonight? I am on Twitter at Richard underscore Roberts, or I am available via our Twitter page um, at Film89UK. And you can reach me on Twitter and Facebook at Sky Movies, and you can find us all, the Film89 team, at Film89.co.uk. You can email us admin at Film89UK. 
and yeah twitter and facebook at film 89 uk so yeah uh, we've already said thanks for the uh, great support again for our previous episode the star wars one yeah if you could please leave us a positive review on apple podcast that would make us all very happy and for the, all of those who've asked for all of those who have asked for us to do this episode because it's down to that we have actually yeah we have folded and we, yeah. we weren't going to do this episode i know neil hinted at the end of the star wars episode that the next one was going to be the book of boba fett but very quickly after that or maybe even before we would actually agreed that we weren't going to do it yeah we've done this purely because of so many people have said to us when are you going to do the book of boba fett when are you going to tell us what you think about the book of boba fett and we have actually folded and we have caved to the wishes of a lot of our listeners so Guys and girls who wanted this episode, this is for you. Yes. This is what we think of it. And Neil couldn't be with us tonight, but this is pretty much what he thinks of it as well. Well, he's currently at home smashing up his uh, any any internet access because he doesn't want Disney Plus anymore. <laughs> <laughs> so there you go. Uh, we'll see you all again next time, whenever that may be. But stay safe and, more importantly, stay classy. There we go. And I-